Glad you're with us this morning. Glad you joined us. If you have joined us for the first time, I'm just really glad you're here. And you may not know this about us, but last week was our one-year anniversary as a church, and we had a great time. All right, we uh, not only had a great service last week, went to the park and had a whole lot of fun at the picnic. And I'll tell you, I was blown away. And only one person got locked in the bathroom. So... (laughs) Right there, Spider-Man. Um, so, uh, <laughs> but, but the, thankfully, the Granite Quarry Fire Department came to the rescue. Uh, I'll tell you, <laughs> you clapping, you know. <laughs> Firefighter walked by with an axe. I was like, what? Oh, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> thankfully, he didn't have to use it on anyone in the bathroom. So, um, but anyway, we had a great time. And I was so, you know, my wife particularly, she looked over at me and she said, can you believe how many people from church Stayed and came out to lunch. It was awesome. We had, uh, it was, we had some people come to lunch who didn't even come to church. All right, so <laughs> it, was, it, was re- it was really good. And actually, Tommy Whitley uh, did the food for us. He's, he's amazing. And he did the food for us. And he came up to me afterwards and he said, uh, he said, usually when someone tells me they're going to have about 100 people, they have 70. He said, you told me 100 people and you had all of that. And he said, I have to tell you, I've never seen food disappear so fast. Not my entire life, so good job. Yeah, we, we, had, we had a good time with that last week, and we're celebrating being a year old. Uh, I'm carrying that over into this week um, as we prepare for Easter, which is next week, right on top of us. So pretty excited about Easter next week. But today, I want to keep talking about uh, our church and, and talk about family and this idea of family. Um, one of the things that's really struck me over the last couple of weeks uh, that's very, been very meaningful to me is that um, for a long time, I've been a part of a lot of different churches, and only at certain times in those churches have I felt like part of the church family. You know what I'm talking about? Because you can, you can go to a church and you can be a part of it, you know, you can attend services and you can even be involved in things, but there's a difference between being involved with the church and it really feeling like it's your family. And what's sunk in with me over the last couple of weeks, which was our goal from the beginning, and turns out it's happened, is that I look at you guys and I look at the ministry that we have and I think personally, I found my church family. And that feels good. That feels good. Because, um, you know, it's, even pastors sometimes don't feel like a part of the church family. Sometimes even when there's good family relationships going on within a church, the pastor can feel a little bit outside of that, you know. Um, but not me. You're my brothers, you're my sisters, and uh, we're having a whole lot of fun together. And so I hope that you've been able to find family here. And uh, if you haven't, or if you're thinking about it, we've got ways to get you in. I talked about Growth Track earlier. That's a great way to do that. But what I've learned about people, I know this about myself, and I've learned this about you guys and about pretty much everyone else I've met, is that everybody wants to be a part of a family. It's true. Everybody wants to be a part of a family. We are hardwired that way. We are built for community. We're built for being part. Now, I know you might, every now and then you might meet that rare loner, right, who just genuinely doesn't want to be, that's, but you probably won't meet them, right, because they're, they're by, by themselves. Everybody that you meet, most people that you meet want to be a part of a family of, of some kind, whether it's a church family or something else, you know. They wanna, everybody has this inbuilt desire to be a part of something outside of themselves, to be a part of a community. And that can be a great thing and actually can lead to some bad things too, right? Because this idea of community can center around 
bad just as easily as it can center around good. All of us want to be a part of something. That's, you ever wonder how gangs get started? That's how gangs get started. It's because you've got young people who are looking for a family. <laughs> and they're looking for a role model. They're looking for brothers or for sisters or people who would give their life for each other, who believe the same things and will do the same things. They're looking for family. They just find it there rather than finding it somewhere healthy. This is how terrorist groups get started. <laughs> It's, it's, it's rarely about theology. It's usually more about community, about being a part of something bigger than you with people that believe the same as you. So you sit around a, uh, you know, you sit around a, a room together and you talk about ideas, ideas you have and bounce them off and everybody agrees and it just grows and grows and grows until it turns into, in some cases, this evil thing. This is how people become Duke fans. Okay? <laughs> yeah, I see you, Josh. I see you. <laughs> I'm a Syracuse fan, okay? So we gave you a run for your money the other night, but we just couldn't close it out. So now I am actually, forgive me, I'm rooting for Duke now just because, because I'm sorry, but if they win, it validates Syracuse losing. <laughs> that's, that's the way I look at that because we played them close. So I'll take that. But the thing is that we all have this inbuilt desire to be a part of a community, to be part of a family. And what we need to realize is that the family that we choose to identify with will determine the course of our life. Okay? The family that you choose to identify with will determine the course of your life. Now, some of you, I understand some of you may not be church people, you may not be sure about Jesus or any of this, and you're here, and I'm glad you're here. And, but that statement is just as true for you as it is for any Christian. The family that you choose to identify with will determine the course of your life. Now, what we believe, we believe that God has created a family for us to be a part of. That he has created an eternal family that he's designed us to be a part of. And the only way that we're going to become the people he's designed us to be is to be a part of that eternal family. To learn to live in the family of God. This is why we call God our God is our Father. You'll see that throughout Scripture. God is our Father. God is our Father. You'll see in Scripture that we call each other brothers and sisters. Because we need to learn to think as if we are a family now. And that family will determine the course of our life. Now, there's a couple different levels to that. Um, we use the term the church, okay? The gathering together of God's people, the church. And we, uh, we use this term the big C church, okay? You might see a capital C church to describe all uh, followers of Jesus everywhere. And that's the family of God. That's the big family of God, and we're all a part of it. And then God organize, organizes us into these little C <laughs> lowercase c, churches, where we gather together with a special group of skills and experiences and, and in specific places at specific times, he pulls us together to be a family together to accomplish something together. So you've got the big family of God, and then he puts us together into these little families of God that we call our churches. And God wants us to constantly be bringing more and more people into his family. He wants us to be bringing more and more people into his family. It's for everyone. And we have, and this is not to, to be an arrogant statement, it's just to say the truth, that becoming a part of the family of God is the path to fulfilling what God has planned for your life and living out your greatest potential. So we are the hope of the world. We, are, we, we have hope for all people, and it is open to all people to become a part of the family of God so that everyone could become what God has designed them to be. And we're surrounded by people that aren't a part of that family. So we need to be thinking about that all the time. 
to know that the family's open to everyone. John puts us this way. We're going to talk a little bit about John today. Um, he's an interesting fella. And so if you have your Bible, if you want to open up to the Gospel of John, and uh, if you are new to the Bible, I, I, sometimes it's confusing. Um, so you've got the Gospel of John, which is near the beginning of the New Testament. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. And then you've got the three epistles of John, which come later, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Okay, so you've got John and then later uh, in, the, in the Bible, you have 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. So when I say John, I'm just talking about the Gospel of John, um, which is, uh, yeah, if you, if, I mean, if you have a print Bible and you're not sure, head there. You'll be pretty close. Okay, toward, I don't know what that is, six-sevenths of the way through your Bible, roughly, <laughs> okay? Um, <laughs> give you some time to get there. But, um, and like I said, I want to talk about John himself for a minute because it's, it's the third it's, or it's the fourth gospel, and it's uh, slightly different than the other three. But John says in verse 12 of chapter 1, we'll be in, we'll be in chapter 1 today, so go right to the beginning. He says um, in verses 12 and 13, he said, But to all who did receive him, and when he says him, he's talking about Jesus Christ, okay? To all who received Jesus Christ, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That God would be our father. We could be his, we could be his children. To become children of God who were, not, who were born, okay, not of blood. So we, we talk about our earthly family. We talk about our blood, right? Our, our kin. We're, we're blood related. He said, not like that. Nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. You understand what he's saying there, right? So we're, we're, do you understand what he's saying there? That's code, okay? <laughs> he, he said, we're children, not born of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, not born like that, okay? He said, but of God, okay? So we become a part of the family of God, and this is not like our earthly family. It's different. This is an eternal spiritual family. God gives you the right, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, to become a part of his eternal spiritual family, but we're not born into it. You know, there's two ways to, to join a family as a child. You can, well, basically, I'm oversimplifying, but you can either join by birth or you can join by adoption. We are not born into the family of God. We are not a part of the family of God by birth. We are, when we are born, we are born with a sin nature and therefore separated from God, disconnected from God. What God offers to do is to adopt us. I think adoption is one of the most beautiful things. It is one of the best representations that we do here on earth to represent what God has done for us, which is to bring us into his family, to bring us into his eternal spiritual family and make us part of his family. And he does that through Jesus. It's the only way it's possible because we are born with a sin nature and therefore we sin and we are separated from God. We can't have a relationship with him, uh, at least not the one he's created us for. We can't have an eternal relationship with him. We can't be a part of that eternal family. So what he did was sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth to sacrifice for us and to pay that sin debt for us so that we could be forgiven and be in a relationship with God. So he sent Jesus to sacrifice for us. Jesus pays for our sin on the cross. He goes to the grave and on the third day rises again, proving power over sin and death. And if we put our faith in Jesus, if we believe in Jesus that he did that for us, then we can be forgiven for our sins and become a part of the family of God. And it really is that simple. It's putting our faith in Jesus Christ that makes us adopted into his family. And now we got a new bloodline. 
So we say of our earthly family, hey, they're my blood. Well, now we're in a new family. We're still blood related. It's just not our blood. (laughs) We are now related. We are now a part of the same family by the blood of Jesus, not by the blood that I have flowing through my veins. We're part of a new family. You see this, you'll see this talked about a lot in the scripture. Um, in Ephesians chapter 2, this idea of being a part of the family of God is talked about. But you, you have to understand, when you read through scripture, you always have, have to know the context of things. In Ephesians 2, uh, Paul says, therefore, you're, not, you're no longer strangers or aliens, but now you're a part of God's household. We're fellow citizens. Now you're a part of God's household. He's talking about the, the conflict that was happening between the Jews who were... You know, the, the people of God in the Old Testament, he said something new has happened. You guys are all related by blood, and you all are, you are you're the chosen people of God. He said now, in the New Testament, we're seeing this new thing that God's doing, this church that he's doing, and it's pulling Jews and Gentiles together, Jews and non-Jews, and you guys aren't blood-related, but he's doing something new now, where now we are together because of the blood of Christ. And he says, you're no longer strangers or aliens. You're now fellow citizens and members of God's household. So we're, we, we got a new identity. We have a new family, uh, a spiritual family. Now, it doesn't mean that uh, it doesn't mean that we like reject our earthly family, like tell them like you're not my dad anymore. I wouldn't do that because it's not a great idea. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus didn't do that, right? He gathered his he he started gathering his spiritual family together on earth, which we're going to look a little more closely at. But um, and he, there was this one incident. Uh, some of you might be familiar with it, where he was teaching, and uh, there were a lot of people around. And his his mom and his brothers showed up. Right? Mary and his brothers showed up and wanted to talk to him. So one of the disciples came to Jesus and said, "Hey, your mom and your brothers are outside." And Jesus looked at the crowd and he said, "Who are my mother and my brothers?" He looked at the people who were part of his spiritual spiritual family that he's building, and he said, "Here are my mother and my brothers." So he just said it right there. He said, I'm, I'm doing something different here. I'm doing something new. I'm building a spiritual family. But that didn't mean that he rejected Mary <laughs> as his mom or, or his brothers either. In fact, when he, was on the, when he was being crucified, he looked down at John and he, he pointed at Mary who was there. And he said, behold, your mother. So he said, man, you better take care of my mama. All right, that's my mama, Johnny. You're her son now, okay? So he's, he, he's taking all of this and wrapping it up into something new into something new, which is a spiritual family. And that kind of family doesn't just happen. That kind of family, the family of God, is intentionally built. It doesn't happen by accident. It's intentionally built. So what I want to do is I want to take a look at Jesus uh, today and, um, and look at how he built his family, how he built his spiritual family as he got started in his ministry. And to do that, we're going to read from John. John's an interesting guy. Uh, so there are four Gospels at the beginning in the New Testament. Three of them are called the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the reason that they're categorized a little differently than John is because the writing style and the purpose is a little different than John. And because the guys who wrote it and were under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the guys who wrote it are a little different than John was. John's a, a, a bit of an oddball <laughs> from, from the other guys that we read. So when you read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, things line up really, really closely. The wording is really similar. The events that are recorded are really similar. And then you get to John, and the writing style is totally different. And the, the, it's clear that his intent is really different, and that he looks at things differently because he records a lot of those same events, but from a different perspective. He sees different things in the situation, and he records some things the other guys don't because 
John is, um, so I feel John's a little hippie. That's, That's the only way I know how to say that. Like, I feel like while everyone else is talking about the details of something going on, John's like, yeah, but what about the love, man? Like, you know, this, it's interesting. We, you know, we read about people in the Bible and, and sometimes we can feel a little separated from them, like they're these historical figures or whatever. They're real people who had personalities just like you and I have personalities and they're different. And so we see the world in a different way. Uh, this past week, I got the opportunity to go back to um, the Cove, which is the church that I served with before starting Carolina Family Church. And they're taking all of their staff through these um, Myers-Briggs personality uh, assessments. Have any of you ever done one of those? Anybody done, a, um, uh, anybody done a personality assessment at all? Just anything? Okay. So Myers-Briggs is kind of like the granddaddy of the whole thing. But, um, but what it does, you take a test, and as you're taking the test, you get really frustrated because they're asking you questions, and you're like, this can't possibly be figuring out what my personality is. These questions are so dumb. And then, and then you're, you're certain that by the time you're done with the test that your results are going to be completely off. And then they give you the results of your test to tell you what kind of personality you have, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's me. <laughs> one of the, and we, we take you through one of those in growth track, by the way. Um, but but what, what happens is you get this personality test back and you're like, oh, that is me. And you start to understand who you are and to put some language to who you are that you didn't have before. Like, oh, that's why I do that. That's why I'm uncomfortable in that situation. That's why I'm good at that thing. That's why I react that way. And uh, so I thought it was funny. <laughs> Tell this real quick because my timer's not working in the back, so I have no idea how much time I have. Um, so I, so I, took, I took the test, and um, um, uh, we got our results on Monday, and they go through this whole, this whole seminar to explain it's four letters, and then it, ultimately there's 16 possibilities. So there's 16 personality types you might have. And they begin dividing us. I'm with the whole staff of, of the Cove. And um, they begin dividing us down into our personality types. And the first thing, they draw, they put a piece of tape on the floor. And they said, all, right, all the introverted people over here and all the extroverted people over here. Those are the first two things on the test. And so we split, and it's roughly half. And then they, they draw another, uh, put another piece of tape on the floor. And they say, okay, all the introverts who are the second thing, okay? I won't, go to, I won't confuse you. The second thing over on this side and all the introverts that are the, the other side of the second thing over here, and they, they begin splitting us up, basically. So by the time they put that second piece of tape on the ground, everybody else from the staff was in one of those three squares, and I was standing in a square by myself. <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious. And then um, uh, my, my, one of my friends, uh, close friends, Dusty, he's uh, the creative arts director there. And um, he, uh, he and I hit it off immediately. But uh, anyway, he was leading the class. He's a, he's a certified Myers-Briggs consultant or whatever. And, um, and uh, I was like, well, I guess I'm all by, everybody noticed and started laughing. I was like, well, I guess I'm all by myself over here. And he came over and stood next to me and he went, nope. Me too. <laughs> so like, anybody surprised? No. But, it, but I was, so what I was doing this week as I was reading uh, from the beginning of the Gospel of John is I'm categorizing him by the Myers-Briggs assessment and trying to figure out which letters he is. All right, so for those of you that might be nerds, I, I think he's an INFP, which makes you a little bit hippie, okay? Just more, more about relationships than, than the facts of the thing, more about what is possible than what is, what is 
tangible. So when you look at John, he's kind of this dreamer who really loves people and thinks about relationships, which is why when you read his gospel, he spends a lot of time on relationships. He's the one who tells us about Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and the interaction that Jesus has with this Pharisee who has a lot of questions. John is the one who tells us about Jesus and the time he spends with the woman at the well. John is the one who tells us about all of these close, intimate things that happen. John is the one who tells us that Jesus wept when his friend Lazarus died. John is always focused on the relationships. So it's not surprising then that when he talks about the calling of the disciples, he focuses more on the interpersonal relationships and what, than what the other three writers of the Gospels focus on. So when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they say, well, Jesus said to this person, follow me, and he said to that person, follow me, and these people followed him, and you get the facts of it, whereas John talks about the relationships, how Jesus' family was built. So that's why we're going to read from John in uh, chapter 1, and uh, we will start with verse 35, okay? Chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, John, and to avoid any confusion, this is not the John who's writing, Different John, this is talking about John, we call him John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, Jesus' cousin who is out teaching about the coming kingdom and preparing the way for Jesus. All right. Next day, John the Baptizer was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. So John points out his cousin, Jesus, and says, look, behold, This is the Messiah the prophet spoke about. This is the guy we've been waiting for. This is the guy who's going to save us. This is the guy who's going to redeem us. This is the guy who's going to fulfill everything that we saw and everything that we've learned and everything I've been talking about to you. Behold the Lamb of God. And let me just say, you got to be really, really sure to say that your cousin is the Lamb of God. (laughs) Right? I think, I think the validity of Jesus' ministry is spoken to in a great deal, in a great way, by the fact that his cousin and his brothers were on board with it. <laughs> because if my brother started saying he was the Lamb of God, <laughs> like, no, sir. <laughs> no, sir. But, but his family was sure of it. That says a lot. Anyway, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. So it's like, no offense, John, you're great, but if that's the Lamb of God, I'm with him. And so they start following Jesus, physically, literally following him. And so Jesus turned around and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And this is one of those places in Scripture where I would just love to go back and hear Jesus' tone. Because this can be, what are you seeking? Like very you know, intellectual, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? You know, what's the meaning of life kind of thing? Or it can be, why are you dudes following me? You're creeping me out a little bit. <laughs> I'm just walking, and all of a sudden you're behind me and walking, and I'm not quite sure why, right? I think it's funnier to think the second. I don't know which one it is because we can't hear his, his, uh, can't hear his tone. But he said, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. So as, when they say Rabbi, now he knows what they're seeking. He knows why they're following him, right? Um, so Rabbi, where are you staying? which might also be a little creepy, <laughs> right? <laughs> Why are you following me? They're like, teacher, where do you live? 
not so sure. I'm <laughs> not so sure I want to tell you that, but no, he knows. He knows what's going on here, right? Of course, Jesus knows. So, so they say, what are you seeking? And they say, Rabbi. So they tell him, we're seeking. We want you to be our teacher. We want to follow you. We want to learn from you. Where are you staying? In fact, they're saying to him, we're so committed to you. We want to go wherever you're going right now. That's where we want to go. It's pretty bold. He said, uh, uh, so they came and saw where, oh, he said, uh, and then he said to him, come and you'll see. So just follow me, all right? Jesus uses that terminology a lot, right? Follow me. Um, so they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. So they spent some time with him. Verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus uh, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So what does he do? He's, he's, John's pointed out Jesus to him. He started following him. Now he spent a little bit of time with him. Now, what's his response to that? He, uh, all right, he was Jesus and Simon Peter's brother. What he did, he first found his own brother, Simon, and went and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. So he's confident. He knows this is the guy. And so the first thing he does is he goes and he tells his brother. I think it's amazing. First thing he does, he goes and he tells his brother. He brought him to Jesus. So he finds him, tells him, brings him. And Jesus looked at him and said, You're Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So when you read in Scripture about Peter, this is the guy, Simon, Cephas, Peter, which means the rock. So Jesus meets him and he immediately nicknames him. <laughs> All right, Jesus is a little bit of a nicknamer. He does that from time to time. So, so he says, You're going to be called the rock. It's an amazing moment. So the next day, and I'm just watch the relational dynamics as we go through this. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip. So this is different than the other guys. Jesus actually goes and finds, finds Philip, goes directly to him, and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So when he goes to Philip and he says, hey, follow me, he immediately follows Jesus, and all of a sudden he's got two buddies from his hometown with him. Right? Because Andrew and Peter are from the city. It's like a class reunion. You know, it's like seeing your buddy that was on the team with you. We won the state championship together, and now we're back together again. Everybody puts on their letterman jacket, and they're ready to follow Jesus. It's like a big reunion. They already had, and this is what I, one of the things I really want you to see here, they all had pre-existing relationships with each other. Jesus wasn't just grabbing random people from all over the place to become his closest followers, his disciples, or his family. They all know each other. So uh, he grabs Simon Peter, let's see, uh, there's from the same town. So uh, what does he do? Philip, when he meets Jesus and, and, and gets uh, in with these guys, Philip found Nathaniel, so this is another friend of his, found Nathaniel, he goes and gets him, and said to him, we found him of whom Moses and the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So he says, we, he's going, he just find, goes and finds one of his friends and says, you got to come see the guy we've been looking for, the guy we've been waiting for. We found him. But Nathaniel uh, says, Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I think it's kind of funny. It's like, I found, I found the Messiah. He's from Salisbury. And Nathaniel's like, really? <laughs> can anything good come out of Salisbury? You know, granite quarry, Rockwell, right? <laughs> can anything good? Can anything good? It's, it's, you know, it's a little snarky. Nathaniel might be. A, we don't read a ton about Nathaniel in Scripture, but uh, yeah, he might be a little snarky. So he says, uh, he says, uh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, just come and see. 
So, so Nathaniel's skeptical. All right, he's probably being, I don't know if he's making a joke or not, but, he's, but he's, uh, he's skeptical. He's not so sure. Even though Philip says, I'm sure of this. I'm confident, man. I know him. Here's his name. Here's where he's from. Nathaniel's like, I, I don't know, man. And so, and so Philip said, well, why don't you just come check it out? You just come see for yourself. And so he does. Uh, so uh, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And now this is where I think Jesus is making a joke, okay? <laughs> Jesus has a sense of humor, by the way, if you didn't know that. I uh, actually did a message last year. It was a really fun one. did a message last year about all the jokes that Jesus told in Scripture. It's a, you might go check that one out on the, on the podcast. But um, and I think this is a joke. I think Jesus knew about or heard about what Nathaniel had said. And so when he comes and Nathaniel said, hey, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He starts walking towards Jesus and Jesus is like, now there's a guy who knows what he's talking about. <laughs> All right, so it's, it's, it's a little bit of a joke, but you can see how things start building. And you'll see, as, as we read through there, if you noticed, all of them ended up coming to Jesus in a different way. Did you catch that? Andrew ends up meeting Jesus and becoming a part of the family because John pointed to him and said, there's the Lamb of God. And he said, okay, I'll go. Peter came to Jesus because his brother Andrew went and got him and said, man, you've got to come meet this guy. He's everything that we have been waiting for. And Peter jumps right on it and goes. Philip actually has come and he's gotten directly by Jesus. Jesus goes to get Philip, goes and finds him and says, follow me. And then Philip runs to tell his friend Nathaniel, and Nathaniel, even though Philip comes and says, I found him, bro, you got to come check this guy out. Nathaniel isn't sure. He's skeptical. And so Philip has to say, why don't you just come and see for yourself? And I think they're amazing models of us and what we can do and what we should do and how we're supposed to reach people and how they may or may not respond to it. So what Jesus does is he builds his family, not just these guys, but 12 uh, disciples. And then there's more people than that, by the way, that follow him around regularly. He, there are times in Scripture where you're going to see it says Jesus and his disciples. It's not talking about the 12. It's talking about all the people that, have, that followed him around. In fact, you'll see um, after Judas betrays Jesus, they have to replace him. And there's two candidates that come up for that. And uh, you'll see it says in Scripture that they were with him the whole time. So those two guys were there the whole time. They just weren't a part of the official 12, right? And uh, uh, one of them, the one who didn't get in, by the way, was named Justice. And I just thought, how did Justice not get in? You know, it's a great name. But uh, so uh, it might have been too close to Judas. They might have been afraid of getting confused. Um, but they, so Jesus, he lives, what he does is he, he gathers his family. He gathers these 12 guys and then the, the additional people that are with him. And um, he begins living with them, right? They travel together. They eat together. Think about how many times Jesus just sat around the fire with his disciples and talked that isn't recorded in Scripture. John, I think, is, is it John that says, or maybe is it John or Luke that says at the end, I don't even have time to tell you. This is just a little bit of it, you know? I don't even have time to tell you everything that Jesus, if we did, there would be so much, we would be so much to write down, we would not have room enough for it. So, um, but he's just, how much time he spent just sitting around the fire with them and talking about life and how to respond to things and about their attitudes and about um, how to care for people and what his mission was and what was going to happen to him. And we see some of that and a lot of it we don't in scripture. And what he did was he took those people and he just, he built a family with them. He's built a spiritual family with them. 
and they learned how to live, and they learned how to serve, and they learned how to think, and they learned how to talk, and they did that in that environment over those about three years. And then Jesus dies on the cross to pay for their sins and for ours, and he rises again three days later, and then he spends about 40 more days with them. It's fascinating to see what he says in those 40 days. You know, I'd be listening real close if the guy raised, you know, raised up from the dead. Like, I was listening to you before, but now I'm really listening to you. And uh, right before he ascends to heaven, he gives them a mission. He says in Matthew uh, chapter 28, Jesus said to them, All authority on heaven and earth is given to me. All, right? all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he's got these guys, these people that he's pulled together, that he's lived with, that he's taught, that he's modeled for. He pulls them together. And before he leaves, what he says to them is, here's what I want you to do. If I could summarize this, I want you to go and do with other people the same thing I did with you. I want you to go and do with other people the same thing I did with you. He said, I spent three years showing you how to do it. Now I want you to go do it. I want you to make disciples. I want you to baptize them. I want you to teach them everything that I've commanded you. And don't worry, I'm not leaving you. And so we're not, we're not the ones who sat there while Jesus spoke those words to us. But we can take the same message from Jesus as our own and say what he wants us to do, if we are a part of the family of God, what he wants us to do is to build the family of God. He wants us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything he's commanded, knowing that he's always with us. It's what we're supposed to do. It's what we're supposed to do. But what we slip into, I've done this and you probably do it too, is that we think that the job of bringing people into the family of God is the job of an evangelist. And we think that the job of bringing people into the families of God, churches, that job is the pastors. But that's not the deal. That's not the deal. Both of those jobs are our job. They're my job and they're your job. To bring people into the family of God and to incorporate them into our families, into our fellowship of churches. And um, I'll tell you a story. This past week, um, I had a bit of a conundrum. I had a decision to make. It was a big one. Uh, you see, in the mornings, I try to go to the gym. I say try because it's a battle with myself every single day. But I try to go to the gym. It doesn't show. But, I mean, think of, think of what it might be if I didn't try. So uh, I, <laughs> I try to go to the gym. And, the, and so what I do is I'll, I'll dress in my gym clothes. And I take the kids to school, go to the gym, work out. And then I change at the gym, put on, you know, fresh clothes. And I take those dirty clothes and I put them in my gym bag. Now, for any of you that, that work out and follow any kind of routine like that, you know that, that gym bag, after a while, pretty gross. This is an understatement. And um, my goal every day is to get home as soon as I can so that the clothes don't just steep in the gym bag, you know, particularly when it's hot out. It's bad. I made the mistake once. I took my gym bag and I just threw it in the back of into my trunk. There's no air conditioning in the trunk. And so that caused a problem when I got back home. Um, you've never done that. You guys aren't laughing. You've never done this before. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so here's, here's what I do. I try to get home as soon as, as soon as possible. Keep it, you know, as unripe as I can. And so I get home and I walk in the door and I put my gym bag on the dryer, open it up, put my dirty clothes into the washing machine so that they'll go with the next load and so Jess doesn't have to touch them. 
because that's like, it's the worst thing in the world. She thinks it's the worst thing in the world. She makes, the faces are, are priceless. So, um, so I put them into the washing machine to make sure that she doesn't have to touch them. But I had a problem this week because on Wednesday, I got home from the gym and I went to put my dirty clothes into the washing machine and there were already washed clothes in the washing machine, like wet clothes. They hadn't been moved over to the dryer. And so I thought, well, I got two choices here. I can either take my wet clothes or my dirty clothes out of the gym bag and just put them on top of the washing machine, right, so that they don't steep in the gym bag. Um, But that means Jess is going to have to touch them when she loads them into the washing machine. And so that's, there's, there's pros and cons here. The other option would be to just leave them in the gym bag and wait until the clothes get moved from the washer over to the dryer, and then I'll move them over, and Jess doesn't have to touch them, but they're going to spend a little more time in the bag, and that's not good. And I stood there for a while, struggling over which one was the right one to do, debating my responsibility versus hers and not, you know, trying to be a good husband, not make her touch the clothes, but also respecting the odor of the house. And, you know, it had a lot of, it was weighing things. And finally it dawned on me there was a third option, a secret third option, which is that I could move the clothes from the washing machine over to the dryer. Hadn't dawned on me. <laughs> uh, so, so I just left him in the bag so she wouldn't have to touch him. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I moved the clothes over. But you know, it's funny. When, you get, when you, you get used to a certain role or people having certain roles, sometimes it, it, it takes something. It takes a moment for you to realize, hey, maybe I could just do that even though I haven't done it much before. (laughs) And if we think that bringing people into the family of God is the job of a professional evangelist or that bringing people into a church family is the job of a professional pastor, then we are going to miss out on what God has created us for and in many cases the greatest joy that God has created us to have. And that's the joy of participating in someone coming into God's family. It's the joy of participating in someone coming in and being a, coming a, a functional and valuable part of a church family. And I'll speak from experience, and those of you that are not, and you can probably speak from experience too, that there is no greater joy in life than seeing someone cross from life to death. Or to see someone cross from feeling lost and lonely and on their own and hopeless and desperate to becoming a part of a church family where they all of a sudden have community and support and encouragement. There are few things in life that will give you that level of joy than to see that happen. And I don't want to rob you of that. I don't want to rob you of that by telling you it's anyone's job other than yours to do it. And so I want you to begin thinking and asking and asking a couple really important questions. The first one, and this is very, very important, first question is, am I a part of the family of God? Am I a part of the family of God? On two levels, right? Am I, have, I, have I put my faith in Jesus Christ? That's number one, to have hope for life, to have hope for a future. And then the second piece of that is, have I become a functional part of a church family? And I don't mean just, I don't mean attending services. That doesn't make you a part of a church family. That that makes you a part of the event that we have on the weekend. And I don't even just mean serving on a team or going to a group. I mean, in my mind, have I taken the step from this is the church I go to to this is my church? 
from, from I'm a part of this organization to this is my church family. There's, there's a huge difference between those two things. Not only a huge difference in our, our church family, how we function, but a huge difference in your mentality and how you walk through life. And the, like when, the idea of a Christian without a church family is a totally foreign concept in the New Testament. It doesn't exist. Some people say, well, I can be a follower of Jesus and sit at home on my couch. Technically, technically, yes, you can be a Christian and sit at home on your couch, but you can't live the life God created you to live outside of fellowship with other believers. You just can't. You can't do it. It's not, that's, not, that's not described here for us. What God wants is for us to be a part of a church family. And I want you to ask the question, am I a part of God's family? And that secondary question is, am I a part of a church family? The second question that I want you to ask, and this is where we go beyond just be, being a part of the church, being a part of the family. Am I growing God's family? Am I growing God's family? Am I telling people about what I believe? Am I talking to them about hope? When, when the person who's sitting next to me is struggling and I want to give them some encouragement, do I give them something out of a TV show that I saw or a book that I read, or do I bring them to Christ? Do I, do I talk to them about hope and faith and love and encouragement and fellowship and all these things that I have the advantage of as a part of God's family? Am I growing God's family? Am I inviting them to be a part of the family that I'm a part of? I want you to start thinking about the people that you're surrounded with every day, whether it's your blood family or whether it's your work family or your friends at school or whatever it is, and think, who do I know that needs to be a part of this? Who do I know that needs to become a part of God's family or a part of our church family? And start mapping out a way to, to invite them or to, to talk to them about it. Start making plans. That's part of the reason I put the... Um, Ask the, the team to put the uh, invite cards on your chairs. All right, those weren't saved seats, by the way. Um, put those invite cards on your chair. There's, there's five in each stack, so you can just take them this week and just maybe make it your mission. Say, I'm going to get these five out. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give them to people that I'm thinking about, whoever's coming to my mind, and I'm going to invite them next week, maybe to Easter. Easter's about your best time all year long to invite someone to church. And so um, this is, you strike while the iron's hot right now and say, I want to be a part of this family you probably are like me. Um, I know people that are, that are, uh, I'm using the term lost. That carries a lot of context with it as Christians, but I know people that are lost, um, people that are without family and without hope. And they're managing their way through life uh, in a lot of different ways, but they don't have family. I mean, they have blood family, but they don't have family like this. They don't, have, they don't have the hope of their Savior, Jesus. I'm picturing people that I know right now. Okay, there are people I'm actively working on and will be working on this week trying to get them um, to come hear the gospel on Easter. Um, and it's, in some cases, it's that they're outside of the family of God, and I know that. Or in some cases, it's they're outside of any kind of fellowship or family with, with a church, and they're just floundering their way through life. And if we truly love them, if we truly love them, we'll offer to them what we already have. That's all it really is. We'll offer to them what we already have. They're, they're on their own. One of the, I was reading a scripture this week, and it just grabbed me. I, I'm sure I've read it. I've just, it never grabbed me like it grabbed me this week. It was Psalm 27. David um, 
He writes many, many of the Psalms, and he, he's in a time where he is, uh, he's pretty depressed, and he's looking for hope. And this is what he says. It may grab you too. Um, Psalm 27, 10. Psalm 27, 10. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Uh, one of the things, I said this earlier, but I think that adoption is one of the most beautiful things that you can do. We actually have a, we have a pattern of adoption within our church already. We have families all over the room, I'm looking at you guys, who, um, who have adopted children into their family. And it's a powerful, powerful thing. And I believe that that's going to be a pattern of our church going forward. I don't think God would have brought us so many people in our church family that have adopted children if that wasn't get, supposed to be a part of our story as we go forward, too. And so um, I, believe that it, I believe that it will. Um, and I want you to begin thinking about what that means for you personally. And not necessarily, not necessarily adopting children into your family. That may be it. But I want you to start thinking about the eternal spiritual family of God and how adopting people into the family of God, how adopting people into our church family is going to be a part of your story, who God is creating you and making you to be. You see, the growth of God's family doesn't happen by organizations. It doesn't happen by institutions. It doesn't happen by nonprofit agencies. It doesn't happen by advocacy in politics. The growth of God's kingdom happens when people love people and invite them to have what they already have. It's that simple. And so I want to encourage you to take that on as your personal mission, as I take it on in my personal mission, to grow the family of God. And so what I want to do is I want to pray and ask God to lead us each, because he's, he, what he's going to do is he's going to show you people. Okay? He's going to either, either picture them in your mind's eye or you'll think about them in your spirit in some way or he'll bring them across your path randomly, seemingly out of the blue this week, and you're going to go, that's weird. It's not weird. It's God putting people in your path that he wants you to bring, help bring into his family. Okay? So I want, I want to pray that God will lead us in that. And I also know that some of you may have never become a part of God's family before to accept Jesus Christ by faith and make God your Father. And uh, what I want to do today is I want to give you an opportunity to do that as well. Okay? So let's pray together. God, we come to you. Um, first of all, we just recognize your power and your glory and that, um, that you are far above anything that we could do or think or imagine. And yet you created all that we see and all that we don't see, and you created us and you love us and know us. And you, you want to bring us into your family. It's not your will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, that everyone would become a part of your family. And so to make that possible, you sent your son Jesus to earth to die in our place, to pay for our sins so we could be cleansed, so we could be clean in front of you, forgiven for our sin, so that we could become your children. That all who believed You've given the right to become your child. And that in power, Jesus Christ, you rose from the grave so that we can have confidence. Just like the disciples early on when they saw and they heard from you, they were confident in who you were. Your resurrection gives us confidence that you are who you say you are. And that through your death, Jesus, we have the right to become children of God. 
And it doesn't matter how much sin we've done. It doesn't matter how far we've run away from you. It doesn't matter how hard our heart has been or how scared we have been or how lost we've been or how alone we've been, how fearful we've been, that when we turn to you in faith, belief in what you did for us, Jesus, and we say, I believe, Jesus, that you paid for my sin, you wipe it away immediately, totally cleansed that we don't have to fear you anymore, but that we can feel as a child fears, feels with a good, good father that you love us, that you are gracious with us, that you are merciful to us. And God, I pray that if there is anyone with us today who's never entered into your family, that today is the day they would accept you as their father that they would believe in Jesus Christ today, believe in his death on the cross, believe in his resurrection, put their faith in him, and today they would accept you as their father through Christ. And God, we know that when they do that, you accept them as your child. And they can today just confess their faith in you and say, God, I believe in you. I believe in Christ and his death and resurrection. Forgive me. And God, you will then fill them with your spirit so that they can learn what it means to be a part of your family. And you place them here, and I pray, God, that they would become a part of our church family so that we can do this together and learn together. Thank you. As they turn and put their faith in you today, God, thank you that you saved them. God, I pray for all of us that have become your children, that have put our faith in you, and you look at us and you say, I love you so much and I have a plan for you. And that you look at us and you say that that plan includes bringing more and more people into the family. I pray that we would take that very seriously. I pray that right now you would place on our hearts, in our minds, the people that you have designed for us to reach. Whether we already know them and we've known them for years and whether we meet them this week, that you would, you would place them not only in our life, but that you would give us spiritual eyes to see that you have positioned us to reach them and to bring them into the family. Whether that means to bring them into your family for the first time and tell them about Jesus for the first time, that they come to faith in him, or whether that means that we invite them to become a part of our church family and to experience fellowship the way that you designed for it to be, that they could be your disciple with us and we could all grow together. And I pray that you would not only place that person in front of us and let us see them, but that you would give us the boldness to speak. That we would see them and that we would tell them and then that we would bring them just like we see in the Scripture. God, I pray that you give us, it's, it's fear that stops us from doing it. So we need you to overcome that fear in our hearts to give us confidence to bring people into the family of God. We know it's what you want, so it's what we want. And I pray for each person here, God, that you would bless them as they go and they do that. May your spirit overpower any spirit of fear that may exist in our heart so that we can ex expand your family like you've called us to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen.